Pitch Deck Asia. Your story, your words. Uh, we're live. This is Pitch Deck Asia. My name's Graham Brown, joined by Lewis Kent Lee. Lewis, welcome to the studio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. So we're going to talk about Viatech, your journey. Shout out first to everybody that happens to be watching live. Some of your team back in the office, your co-founder, Edmund, maybe, or if he's watching this on the archive. So do you want to do the shout out to the team? Good morning to you guys. And uh, thank you for watching if you are. And uh, if you're not, why? <laughs> kidding. Uh, but yeah, uh, just very happy to be here today with uh, Graham. And uh, I'm going to share a little bit more about the story of Vitake and uh, where we're planning to go. Great. Looking forward to it. So if you are watching on YouTube Live, then please like the video to give Viatic a boost because YouTube likes likes. And if you're listening on audio in the archive, whether you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, then please subscribe to the channel. Everything we can do to boost Viatic out there and get the story, because this is what it's about today. So maybe we can start at the beginning. I want to ask a little bit about what Viatic is and then maybe go into the past, how we got there, the whole story, not just about you, but your team, how you came together and why. So Viatic, before we jump into the pitch deck, what is it? So Viatic is an IoT company that specializes in the short haul space of Bluetooth. Uh, the vision is to create an infrastructure that's ready to easily connect both people and assets together on a platform. So what we chose to do initially when we founded it was to concentrate a lot on track and trace, uh, specifically for the indoor tracking of people and assets indoors. Mm. We developed a niche on that and then using the same infrastructure to also connect other IoT devices uh, at the same time. So by and large, uh, we have become known uh, in, in the small little ecosystem as uh, the Bluetooth boys. The Bluetooth boys. The Bluetooth boys, right. yeah. Well, that's stuck. That may be a good thing. Hey, tell me about indoor track and trace. What, what would that be useful for? What sort of scenarios? Okay, so, you know, you know, when we're outdoors, we rely a lot on GPS, right? Mm. So that is that is a, a golden yardstick already. Now, when we go indoors, GPS always deviate. It always fluctuates uh, more than 20 meters kind of stuff. Imagine uh, extrapolating that into different levels, like let's say basement level one. Yeah. Uh, use cases generally that we concentrate on a lot is safety, compliance, and mm. also uh, assurance that the people that's working in that facility is accounted for, mm. is safe, and uh, the assets of a certain value uh, are actually utilized or still there. Right. Yeah, so by and large, these these are the uh, areas we call it non-sexy, mm. and, and we do we do it pretty well for, for, this, for these sectors because we, we like harsh environments. Normally, pe people who do not like uh, places that are harsh, uh, like like us, like we do, uh, concentrate on things like proximity marketing. Mm. Yeah, like, like in retail. the mall, right? Yeah. yeah. So you're talking about harsh environments. What exactly is that? I'm thinking like large oil refineries and stuff like that. That's one. Okay. Uh, imagine uh, those shipyards. Yeah. Uh, and it's dangerous, right? Yeah. Potentially. 
and also a lot of interference because there's a lot of metals, yeah. uh, signals bouncing, even the wireless cells might not even work there. We love those kind of environments. Um, also hospitals? Hospitals and uh, railway tunnels. That is, that's one, mm. that is one of the uh, use cases that got us into the crosshair of a lot of uh, the bigger boys like uh, Samsung, Dallas. Yeah. That, that's how we got some recognition over here. And then, yeah, we just got labeled as Bluetooth boys. Okay. Well, I'm curious about the actual applications as well. And we'll, we'll jump into the pitch deck to learn a bit about the, um, the, the company and the, the actual product itself. So um, I think what maybe we can do is just jump into the pitch deck and just have a walk through some of the earlier slides and start there. So as you've rightly labeled yourself, the Bluetooth boy, so therefore you are ready to connect. It makes sense, right? Um, let's have a quick look at some of the slides here. Um, this is really sort of an overview of what you're talking about is the world we're moving into, the IoT world, right? So um, talked about track and trace, IoT as a service, I guess, is where you're laying a service on top of the, the physical connectivity that's created by Bluetooth, the hardware side. And now some of the use cases here, smart estate, petrol pumps, etc. the less sexy stuff, but this is where the money is, right? This is where the need is. And um, before we go into this and we sort of explore some of these use cases so people can understand better how all this works, I want to ask how and why. How did this come about? What's your background? Are you an engineer? Were you working on an oil refinery offshore somewhere? How did this happen? Where did your in into the world of Bluetooth and the unsexy applications in harsh environments come from? Right. So uh, when we first started zoning in into, uh, you know, let us call it accountability, right? Track and trace is basically... Uh, the endorsement of accountability in short. Um, I, I started out uh, not being involved in the technology sector. Mm. Uh, I I was an equity uh, analyst yeah. uh, kind of guy and yeah. uh, directly working for a stock magazine that runs a, that runs a fund that invests uh, in the SEA markets. So... I look at I look at business models, uh, competitive advantages, yeah. and problems a lot. So um, one of the key things that when I was looking at uh, back in 2013, before it even started, right for Vitek, was that there's there's a lot of gaps uh, in between the keyword productivity. And what does it really mean? A lot of people don't have a definition or answer to that. But then the real answer for productivity is basically really knowing uh, to a certain extent where a personal asset is before mm. everything else, the data points, can can start to form. When you say a personal asset, you mean a, a worker, right? Is that what you're saying? A yeah. person, a human being? Yeah, yeah. a human being. Uh, generally, the metrics across companies are the same, right? If you're in a restaurant, you look at the table turnovers. Mm. If you're looking at uh, human resource, you look at, uh, the amount of output that they do. Uh, humans generally are a special breed. We we do not function like machines, and we're not supposed to. And therefore, other things that comes along with it, like uh, if something happens, you know, insurance payout, all this kind of stuff that are costs. And what about solving issues one at a time to close the loop? Hmm. We're not ambitious enough to say, you know, we're going to have a silver bullet for 
for that accountability altogether, or even addressing productivity altogether. But it's got to start somewhere. So, so, so I had a chat with uh, my co-founder, uh, Edmund. Edmund. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shout out to Edmunds if you're there today watching. How you doing, man? <laughs> yeah. So he's the co-founder with you. So you, but he comes from what kind of world? And so I get the understanding. And correct me if I'm wrong, Lewis, is that you are more on the uh, the front end, the the sales biz dev role, and Edmund maybe more on the technical side. Is yep. that correct? So that is correct. Does he come from a world of Bluetooth, or does he have experience in some of these scenarios you talked about? Yes, yes. Uh, previously, he was he was already heading uh, IT functions within uh, facilities management company. That is right. that is how uh, when I was uh, you know having a chat with him and then observing his role, uh, the number of people involved in that and that need for accountability that sparked off our right. further conversation. Then uh, this this got this got expanded further when he took a trip to uh, I think Europe. At that point, Zigbee was uh, one of the most um, used to a certain extent. And when he came back, he talked to me about what he saw and how maybe it could be used, uh, you know, to a certain extent for for people. Yeah, what's Zigbee? Zigbee is another short haul communication stack mm. uh, that that is probably a rival of Bluetooth if you put it that way, but. Um, Generally, it is on a 2.4 gigahertz uh, kind of space. So Bluetooth is as well. Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi started off from 5, 5.1, and then it goes back to 2.4 as well. Mm. So technically in this in this short haul space, uh, we got to choose one. And we made a bet on Bluetooth because of how dynamic it is uh, and we're right. Uh, mm. It was a good bet uh, five yeah. years ago. So we, we had a lot of conversations on that. We decided to, you know, we got to start somewhere. So we started with humans first, actually, mm. and uh, it took off in a in an HR kind of approach front. Uh, but then, you know, as you as you move along, you started seeing how to incorporate other playbooks into this uh, algorithm, how to refine it to make it suitable for both people and assets at the same time. That was how uh, we we sort of formalized Vitex track and trace today. Right. Okay. Let's talk about where it applies. I know you've got some of the case studies here. And I'm curious, because I think by talking about the case studies, people will understand more about the problem. Right. And then also how it works in the day-to-day. -day. So smart asset. I want to pick this IoT-enabled petrol pump, because it's not sexy at all. But yet, petrol pumps, I can already see potential dangers. You know, you've got a, a highly flammable, combustible resource in there which at any time could explode and kill both workers and customers. So there's a, there's a natural risk in there, right? And you're also dealing with something which is a fluid, so therefore it's not necessarily as controllable as maybe data, right? So it's a bit messy. Petrol pump, what's going on here? Tell us about how this works and why IoT enabling it makes it any better. So maybe you can start by what the problem is. Okay. So I, I think there are the multiple problems within the uh, uh, petrol pump uh, use case that you're seeing here. Uh, let me just go through uh, mm. on two separate branches why and then how it, it came all together to, to sort of help them. Now, uh, you're right, the, the, the risk of this kind of environment is that uh, 
the accountability of people's safety is always a top priority, right? So knowing where they are when incidents happen as well, that's one of the key things that already needs to be addressed. Uh, as you've mentioned as well, a lot of other things happen uh, concurrently within uh, a petrol station kind of environment as well, mm. which is why uh, since you know that's that's always been our strategy, our track and trace strategy. When we when we already are doing that for the people and assets around the station itself or any facility, we will turn on the ability of the same gateway mm. to directly allow you to control other IoT devices within the vicinity as well. Right. This is a problem uh, in the IoT gateway space that, you know, for instance, if you have a Xiaomi gateway, you can't control the devices of Samsung devices and stuff like that. So that's that's where we use our Swiss Army Knife gateway. We call it Mach 5. Uh, and it's, it's used like that to address both the track and trace problem of, mm. of uh, people's safety and the workers who are around there, and also actively know the telemetry statuses of everything that happens from your lights, from your uh, petrol pump, or even the number of times a certain manhole ditch has been opened because uh, the risk of water going into the manhole and then going into the, uh, the fuel uh, is, is a concern and they right. need to make sure that people are actually uh, you know actively clearing out the water and 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 what better way is it to to do that than automate it as well I'm trying to get to the heart of what the problem is with a petrol pump I don't know I only ever used them as a consumer right, right. W what is the you know if you could help me understand from a top level view what is that problem you talk about track and trace but I don't understand what that problem is with a petrol pump there's a lot of things going on right yeah and there's a lot of people servicing a petrol pump like you say the guy who brings in the tanker the guy who has to lift up the the, the actual handset or whatever it's called the pump and then you know the customers the guy lifting up the the manhole cover the guy cleaning it there's a lot of people involved right what is the problem with all of that and how can you walk me through how it actually creates problems? Where does that sort of flare up as an incident? What is he, What are we seeing? Like just general efficiency or accidents or what? Okay, so it is it is funny, right? Uh, the crux of the problem lies with efficiency at first because you've got people deployed on the ground, but you you don't know whether or not they're, they're actually there, they're actually doing their work. Hmm. And then you marry all these with uh, things that happen when people don't do their work and the the accidents that might happen and then you want to know altogether in the loop when all these happens who gets hurt where and how to prevent that so there's a layer of uh efficiency kind of um safeguards mm. that was meant because of what tra track and trace can do already that's one uh the second one is generally like you know the moving parts uh let's talk about the manhole if you don't take the water out of the manhole What's going to happen is that there's a risk of this water going in to that same fuel when you pump out that that petrol, mm. and then when it goes to your car, your 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 engine Spoil, stalls. Right, yeah, yeah. So and and this is a problem because somebody wasn't doing their job. Mm. Uh, the moving parts of who's not doing their job is going to be addressed by track and trace, and then the other parts. To, to also corroborate these data points to is somebody actually doing the job comes in handy when you put uh, the IoT element into it. Mm. Uh, how many times during a day 
did the uh, manhole get opened uh, by who? Because track and trace was able to tell. Right. Yeah, and then all these would solve an issue altogether to a certain extent. It's not a silver bullet to solve everything, but when certain things happen because uh, of of some accidents, right, you'll be able to backtrack and then yeah. you'll be like, oh, okay. Right. It's almost like a reverse split test, right? You yes. can always go back into the data. I mean, I find running a business and where you're a business owner dealing with a lot of data that it's tough to understand that here was the baseline A, here's the output B. What actually caused that? Between A and B, there's a hundred variables. And if you're a business owner or running a facility, you're then making a decision on your gut instinct but if you were to go back to the data, almost that sort of identifies your blind spots. You know, actually, this was going on, and this is the real reason why B happened, right? So you're able to let the data tell you what the reality is rather than taking a, a gut instant reaction or a call on something based on your experience or intuition and so on. Yeah. So in this and, case, and there's Graham, a lot of data and variables, look, right? This is this is this is this is the exact part that that is important and imagine this problem uh, extrapolated into 1,000 different branches. You need yeah. to automate it and then have the alerts tell it, you know, the supervisors or the management that this this location, this has happened because of what. Uh, so solving solving this issue on a singular pump basis or a station basis is is easy. Yeah. But when you when you look at the problem at heart, like when, when you're dealing with so many at once, then you see the beauty of, of such uh, ability to to manage all this on the back end. So could I gather all of that data, crunch it, and then say, look, my facilities guys are spending X hours doing Y, and that's not necessarily a good use of time. Yep. Maybe they're opening that manhole cover 12 times a day when theory four is enough. You can then go back and then make tweaks to you know, the efficiency of their, their yep. work, right? You can. And uh, I mean, ironically, before we came into the picture, you've got reports telling you this manhole was opened five times a day, every day. But when you do a random audit check, you open the manhole, there are spider webs in there. Right. Yeah. I wonder, you know, like sometimes you go into bathrooms in offices and it says like people have checked it off and cleaned yeah. it. Could you apply it to something like that? Yes, we do. Okay. Yes, we do. Because I see people like signing it off. I mean, people. I'm trying to relate to something people see on a day-to-day -day basis. Who's cleaned the bathroom today? And then they'll sign it and data and data and data. But actually, they're just signing it, right? So I guess the other part, I mean, my question is, is why hasn't this been done already? Because there are systems for this, right? Because those systems are kind of reporting, self-reporting, right? Yeah. That I can just check. I can say, okay, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. And here's my signature. So, you know, I'm verifying the fact that I've done this activity, whether it's cleaning the bathroom or opening the manhole cover, whatever it is. Do they not work? Is there a, you know, a failure point in that? Is there a sort of some fundamental weakness in existing structures? Because I'm wondering why hasn't Viatic come along already? Well, I mean, commercial side of things, when you know you got to roll this out, I mean that that kind of uh, strategy. That aside, uh, fundamentally, why has has this not taken off to a certain point? Is that um, is people afraid of change mm. as well? Uh, the, the current supervisors, they're already loaded with a lot of things on their hand. And uh, if you if you want them to accept something new, you got to prove it to a certain point. 
and uh, by and large, we we always do that to to customers or to our partners who directly are going to try it out or even implementing it. We hold their hands all the way for that as well. Mm. But uh, if you ask me on a fundamental basis why this is not, uh, you know, implemented to a certain extent that we'd like to see uh, in terms of saturation point, yeah, this is this is the main reason. Yeah human beings <laughs> well i mean I, I can verify that my brother is you know the operations head for an oil company and he's an engineer effectively and his business day to day if you want to boil it down to what the the nub of what he does is reducing risk which basically means that he's there to make sure nothing looks strange or different to what it did yesterday so he's making sure that place doesn't blow up, right? Because that's a real problem. Yeah. Or like oil leaks, which is another real problem. So then the issue is, is that they're mentally, those people who are successful, those supervisors, their, their, their mindset is not accepting new things because they're all about reducing that. So you're facing that kind of resistance that you, the people who are the buyers in all of this have been trained for years and years to keep things as they are and to make sure that it keeps running, right? So I can understand that the challenge for this and why it hasn't been implemented already is the people who are making the decisions naturally are averse to risk. Mm. Okay, let's move on. Let's, let's move talk on. about you All and right. how and why. I know we talked about the backstory a little bit with you and Edmund. I mean, if I flash up the pitch today, I'm curious to know, and as with all the founders that come in here, how do you get excited about this stuff? And it's not meaning to be derogatory at all, but it, that, I'll ask anybody that question, right? I mean, what excites you about a smart estate? I mean, we talked about petrol pumps or smart mobility, asset tracking. For somebody with your background, and you were a PwC analyst for a while, right? And you've yeah. come from that world of research and analysis. You've seen a lot of patterns. You had a lot of choice. When you wake up in the morning and think about smart estates or mobility tracking or whatever it may be why why do you choose to apply your talent and your skills to this what is it about it that we don't see so i mean there there are personal sort of um, uh reasons for this as well now uh let, let's talk about the scene in general first uh if, if we if we take a leaflet from a pwc report or even a KPMG report, you'd see that uh, Singapore uh, is one of the smartest cities in the world. But if you were to break down and really analyze on the ground level, yeah, are we really there yet? Yes, probably in silos. Uh, my personal intention is to stitch things up in our own way from our own ecosystem first before bringing this up altogether. We're seeing a lot of gaps uh, in this space, in the market for IoT as a service. And by and large, we are actually only on the forefront of this. Mm. So it is a good time to be in this space if uh, this is what excites you. What excites me is the ability to be on something in the forefront, unlike previous generations. You know, probably our parents mm. do not have the luxury of tackling something when imagine if they are working on something related to Wi-Fi be before it actually became a norm. Mm. This is what excites me. So if, if I had the ability to to be on the forefront of a growth, that I actually actively also contribute to that, 
this is something that uh, you know gets me out of bed every morning. Yeah, the excitement. But why this? I mean, that that's really important to me as a host, I guess. Just curiosity for people. You could do a lot of different things that are potentially exciting or growth stage industries at the beginning when the thing is just taking off. Why IoT and why something that's related to smart cities or petrol pumps or you know even you know oil refineries, bathrooms. Right. What's exciting about that? I mean, what do you see? You've got to be a bit geeky about this, right? You've got to have a passion for something that the average person doesn't see. For your team and your investors and your clients to believe in you, like you've got an eye for it, that spike that other people don't see when they think about petrol pumps, right? So, what is that? Have you thought? I mean, it's a bit of a difficult question. I have to say, it's a bit unfair, but you know, why not? I'll ask that because sometimes I find people who are really into their businesses don't actually think about it. They just love doing it. They don't understand why they love doing it because they never stepped back from it and looked at it. What about yourself when you do that on a day-to-day, beyond the excitement and the growth? What is it about the sort of nuts and bolts of what you do that's interesting? Right. The the, the nuts and bolts that's interesting to me that, that keeps me want to go back every day to do it still lies in track and trace. IoT as a service, for instance, uh, what you've mentioned, like uh, smart cities, even the, the the management of different moving parts within the petrol pump itself, that is a segment that was created about 14 months ago from Viatech itself. Because mm. as, as we moved along, we saw the gap of what has happened in the IoT market, whereby a singular gateway is not able to take on many different IoT devices of different classes. Mm. And... Uh, for instance, if you're in uh, Europe, you need to change that backhaul connectivity to another provider. Nobody has been able to flexibly uh, allow this happening from a single button on the back end. That is what uh, Viatech's IoT segment was meant to solve. Now, uh, by and large, this, is, this, this excitement is because of when the forefront of this industry, we are contributing actively and we're doing certain things together with the government and that's cool. But back to where we first started and how we made this uh, our bread and butter is is something completely different. The track and trace uh, by doing something that is uh, not thought of. Uh, what what I like personally is things that are not uh, sexy. I'm I'm a little bit of a geek by uh, by nature. So uh, you know, even before I was in the industry, I was reading about signal interference. I know exactly what short haul and long haul is. And uh, when when I see how things and how Bluetooth directly is moving from my olden days of using this to transmit files to my friends yeah. like a song to what it has achieved today, this is something that. I'm proud to say, you know, I'm I'm part of this growth generation. Yeah, yeah. it's great. But what is it about signal interference that's interesting? I mean, <laughs> so, I can I can understand the concept, but what what do people like you find that interesting? So, it, you know, uh, to I I've always been a very curious person. Yeah. So you know, uh, probably I'm the only one who will actively read out different signs and ask, uh, what does the EW means in the MRT station? Right. And stuff like that, <laughs> you know, and, and the causation of things that happens yeah. because of what. So signal interferences uh, is invisible to the naked eye. Mm. And if, if I mean, 
part of part of what I like uh, was a lot of Marvel stuff, right? So yeah. uh, signal interference, this this kind of stuff from Spider Man to everything else. You see how they actually take things apart. Right. Part of my nature is to take things apart as well. So uh, from understanding uh, how signal interference works, uh, I put it into my sorts of little play play little disc uh, with little gadgets at home and stuff like that. Yeah. I started like that. Yeah. I started like that. Well, you started making stuff or? I started playing around with stuff, taking things apart, okay. testing the different signals and then. Well, I, what sort of stuff was that? Like electronics? Yeah, electronics. Okay. Yeah. So it's interesting because you're, I mean, I know you're sort of the front face of the business and you're pretty much doing a sales type role, yeah. which I mean, every founder lives by selling. You have to get out and sell, but usually in a co-founding team, there's a sales guy and a, an engineer. Usually, right. somebody who makes the stuff, somebody who sells the stuff, right? That's very basic. Whatever I'm doing, yeah, Edmund does it ten times more. Right. Well, that's great. You've got that cover, right? But you kind of understand a little bit of that world as well. Yep. Yep. You actually have a passion for making and tinkering and playing around with stuff, right? <laughs> I mean, w were you like that when you were younger? Did you like sort of take a screwdriver and take apart the television and stuff like that? Many, many clocks. Right. Clocks. Uh, got scolded a lot uh, for taking apart uh, part of the refrigerator. Oh, the refrigerator? Yeah, yeah. Just, wow. Just trying to... That was a bit brave. Just trying to understand how it worked and then <laughs> failed to put it back together. Oh, that, that was... Yeah. Little, that was I was a little bit like that. I think my... like I can see... In, in, well, I'm a bit older than you, obviously. But the TVs in my day used to have these big fat backs, right? Now now TVs are like this. But yep. like TVs had these cases at the back. So you could actually unscrew them and take it off. And there was like a cathode ray tube in there. So it was actually like, you know, it was analog. There's a physical vacuum and a tube in there. And uh, I think my mom and my dad hid screwdrivers in the house, like the, <laughs> the Phillips screwdrivers, because I used to take everything apart, like everything, like radio sets, TVs, keyboards. And I was more interested in taking them apart than putting them back together. So I became <laughs> a bit of a, a liability in the household. So I just think it's a passion, it's a curiosity for knowledge and learning and understand how to get into something and work something. Yeah, how does that all sort of come together, whether it's a petrol pump or a refinery or a bathroom? It's less important about the context, but more important about the insides and how all those kind of things fit together. Yep. And that needs a really analytical mind. Not everybody has that. But you seem to be quite passionate about that and willing to get into a bit of trouble for that as well. Well, you see, I mean, uh, that, that, that curiosity uh, was married with uh, that part of the training of the world that I was previously in. Yeah. I was constantly analyzing, looking at companies. Equities then, research. Yeah. Yeah. And also uh, a broader markets of uh, how things work. So don't necessarily agree with a lot of the things and because if you touch it, you understand. So... Uh, Fast forward it to today on all the use cases that we've done, uh, we always take it from the top mm. and then, you know, strip it apart and find out which, which it, it, it gives joy to me. Mm. The ability to apply uh, both on, on an analytical level and also bringing in answers to answer my curiosity, curiosity. side. Yeah. Yeah. The insatiable curiosity. What, what does an equities research analysts bring to this kind of challenge what what do you know that i won't know um or the listeners the viewers won't know what have you sort of what's your sort of like unique angle those years doing equities research what does that train you to do and think like that you think average people don't it is it is to completely disregard 
market numbers, uh, market reports, uh, whatever that, whatever case studies or white paper that's published, you you can't take it uh, at at face level. Yeah. So that's that's one, uh, and then also actively uh, knowing what other technology stacks are complementary to yours. That is something really important. Mm. Uh, something that uh, you know, maybe maybe an analytical mind. If you combine it with insatiable, uh, insatiable curiosity, you'll be able to marry it together. So part of what we do is not just concentrate on Bluetooth. That's how we also marry uh, other technologies like ultrasound together. It was because of all these like, uh, I think that this can be better. I think that within this kind of environment, uh, this decibel can be stretched. To a certain extent, it's always like that. Yeah, yeah. I like the bit about disregarding white papers, or at least viewing them with objectivity, <laughs> because especially in tech, a lot of vendors publish white papers, right? Yeah. To hype their technology, because that's how they sell, and that's how they create the buzz. And we see that happen all the time with, especially in mobile technology, a lot of large vendors spend a lot of time producing white papers. So you have to be very sort of analytical and objective about it and understand that you're trying to solve a problem rather than trying to find a solution for your technology to fit into, right? Yeah. Okay. And you said yourself, I mean, even like the, the petrol pump is 14 months. So you as a company have been going nearly three years now, right? Coming up. Is that right? We, I- we were founded in 2014. Okay. Yeah. Right. Founded okay. in 2014. Five years, correct me. Five years, yeah. Wow, so that's good going. So five years, and what have you learned in that? Because I imagine what you're doing now is different to what you started out day one doing. Yes. The vision may be the same, but actually the physical element of it has changed a lot. That must have changed in five years. What do you know now about Bluetooth and about track and trace that you didn't know day one? I think think, uh, humbly, uh, what 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 have have sort of uh, been manifested as knowledge over the years uh, lies very much uh, to to me. Firstly, is to know what can be done. You know, uh, a lot of people started out, uh, or even you know, founders start out in day one thinking that and and telling everybody that this can this can solve everything, right? Yeah, to a certain extent, but. As, as the years go by, you've got to actively know what is the real true weakness of, of what, you do, what you're dealing with and when it's time to let go. Uh, what do you mean by that? That it, sounds quite a strong statement. True uh, weakness of what, of the industry or of your company or of you or what? Uh, the technology? Okay, let's just talk about technology and mm. then you marry it with commercial sensibility as well. These are all strategies that needs to be uh, Either either learn through a lesson or within five years you learn quite a lot. So uh, for a very very simple example uh, that always gets compared between track and trace for using Bluetooth and track and trace using uh, RFID, passive RFID uh, for instance is what you see at Watson's when you take a certain item and then you know those tags. Those those are less than twenty cents each for a tag itself. Mm. A Bluetooth tag. Uh, an active Bluetooth tag is somewhat $30. So comparing this on a commercial sense, it doesn't make sense. Passive RFID always wins, but you always need to see from what angle it's used. Uh, if it's for mass inventory and short range, 
dance is clear. So we don't we we we've learned to directly just even refer our friends in their RFID for the deals that comes to us like that. Right. It's it's a it's a no go for us. We're quite we're quite focused in what we want. Right. And what it can't solve. Yeah. Yeah. So this is one of the examples. Yeah, interesting one. I feel, and I've sat with a lot of startup founders, is that really the only key to growth is to say no to opportunities, and so because that allows you to say yes to the bigger opportunities. In the sense that a lot of startups, a lot of technology companies chase everything and end up getting nothing because they spread themselves too thinly. And only when they realise actually our solution is for X and not Y, do they then realise that okay, everything that looks like Y will just push it aside and we'll give it to these guys which is what you're talking about and then let's double down on x because that is us and then you have a clearer definition of who you are and what you do yeah. and that's a key part of the growth and that's a lesson learned the hard way i bet it is and i mean uh instead of, instead of just looking at an opportunity that's lost think about the networks that happen because of such referrals to mm. uh the RFID guys, for instance, for me, you know, the friends that you make and then the sub-referrals that come along, uh, it comes in a cycle. So apart, of for, apart from the uh, knowledge that's gained from the tag uh, over the years, it is also the business uh, sort of sensibility at the end of the day, the networks, the relationships, what, what needs to be done, uh, very, very quick value chain identification to quickly get into the space that is that is something that is valuable intel that previously in my world probably before starting Viotic, we're not exposed to at mm. all it takes it it, it it requires you to uh, be at a certain level let's say management to even start discovering these kind of different value chains uh, but but you know as your, your own company you got to do this all on your on your own right so uh, this this is the the kind of knowledge uh, within the past five years that uh, I've humbly learned. Mm. There's no other way to do it. And you're recruiting at the moment, so you're looking for people to be part of this journey. So yes, let's put it out there because people watching or listening as well may hear your story and then think, yeah, I want to be part of this. And I often find that people join, especially talented people, you know, you got the chances who just join whatever job is available in the market, right? Or something that matches their CV. But when you're in a tech business and you're hunting the best talent, you're looking for people who actively seek out the stories that match what they want to do. So let's put it out there. Is there any particular hard skills you're looking for first? And then also maybe we can talk a little bit about the mindset of the people that you're looking for. So hard skills first. What kind of people do you want in your team? Well, I think I think uh, for hard skills for developers generally we we only look at full stack right full stack developers. Uh, we recently uh, were fortunate enough to uh, hire someone uh, previously from Gojek, so that was a that was a good move, uh, and it wasn't an easy one because it takes a lot of uh, coaxing to yeah. a certain extent, and also uh, to to your point mindset right. It you you need to make sure that. They are on the same traction as you, the same wavelength. Uh, no. What is that? So, for instance, um, I, I practice I practice a way of uh, uh, accountability to my team and uh, expecting them to do the same for me. In a sense, where 
we don't even have to see each other in the office. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. But sometimes, uh, without without saying anything, on Saturdays, you see people in the office uh, going going all the way to six p.m. because、mm. they just needed to finish something that will help somebody else in the team. This is something that I need. What、and、What is that accountability? How does it work for those? I mean, because especially if you're appealing to technical people, they want to know how does it actually work. Give me the nuts and bolts of it. So, so if you're a developer, right, you know that a lot of things can be just done by yourself. You are you're actively you're actively gonna learn how to、uh, scratch somebody's back、mm. in the team and、uh, expecting nothing at all from the person that you just scratched the back and knowing that this is a favor that you passed on, you pass it forward. So we we need people to think like that, not 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 expecting. Yourself to be in a corporate environment whereby favors need to be paid back. Yeah,、uh, I know. I know it sounds it sounds a bit、uh, odd, but in the end, when you start to have this kind of mindset, when you do your task and then you actively do this for other people, and still maintaining that relationship, this only manifests into a bond that、uh, even with、uh, you don't see any bad mouthing in the company. No, no politics. Yeah, this is what I need. Yeah, and how do I know that I'm that person? For example, if I'm applying for this role, what would tell me? I mean, this sounds really great for somebody, especially who's ambitious and wants to be part of an interesting team. But if I was to look at my history, what would be the clues that tell me, yeah, that's the right person that you're looking for? Is it you know I've, I've worked for Gojek, or is it that I have a computer science degree from Stanford? What is it that you're looking for in those sort of cues? Something they've done, something they made, or you know what they say about themselves. So, I mean, hard skills aside,、uh, generally we we do have a test that that you need to sit through if you're a developer, right? So that's probably out of the out of the park. Anyway, it it it's regardless of whether or not you're from Harvard, Stanford, you you get put through the same、uh, meat grinder. If you do if you do pass that. Uh, we we got no questions asked for for that part. Somehow or rather,、uh, a lot of the resumes that we、uh, end up eventually hiring are people that have、uh, actively also done、uh, in their earlier days, you know, in school,、uh, a startup of some sort,、uh, developed a platform or a certain part of it、uh, in the in the younger days before joining a corporate. Uh, this is this is one key similarity of all the people that、uh, generally end up being with us, and then、uh, the second one is generally we like to ask them point blank、uh, many many times during the conversation and even、uh, having coffee chats. Right? Why did you leave? Why did you leave? Always. Why did you leave? We we just want to know. You know, it's not because of the inability to to do something,、uh, work with people. Uh, these are the things that we need to find out,、hmm. uh, and it's not so apparent on paper. What's a good answer, without giving away the clues? What do you want to hear somebody say? Is you don't want to hear somebody say, "I didn't like my boss," obviously, or you know, like I didn't like the working hours, or you know, they weren't doing enough for me. You want them to say something. What's a, what's an answer that aces it for you? And the reason I'm I'm saying this is because if somebody has gone through and listened to this podcast end to end and watched your video. Then we should give them a reward at the end of it because if they're now going to say right, I'm going to apply for, you know, the team, and I want to speak to Lewis about this, then you really want them to be rewarded. The fact they've done their research here and listened to your story, right? What's a good answer? 
I think a good answer, and this is one of the best I've heard, was uh, I left because uh, I tried to uh, the 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 company that uh, they're in uh, was to relocate to probably somewhere that's a hundred miles away from their home, and because of what's going on at home, uh, this person offered to uh, also do remote work mm. uh, on a scheduled basis, but uh, it was rejected. So under this kind of circumstance, uh, this is what I want to hear. This this has been by far the best answer. And even if you tell me that, um, you know, I, I just don't like my boss, I, I might have been interested to find out why. Why, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, it, yeah, not the face a, value. It's, it's okay for that, really. Yeah, fair enough. Very interesting. Okay, well, thank you for sharing those insights as well and giving a few clues away for anybody that gets this far in the podcast and good for them and i think it's really important anybody that applies for a role and of course it's the same for investment you do your due diligence right yeah investor would want to find out more about you and the team than the product because that's the bit that really makes it work isn't it you've got a great product but let's have a look at the people at this stage right so it's the same for recruitment on the other side, for those people out there in the market is, you know, who am I going to be working with and what kind of support am I going to get and what's the attitude of this team and so on. They should do the research. They shouldn't just turn up for an interview and do the test. They should actually say, right, okay, I want to find out about Lewis and we'll find out about Edmund, find out what they're trying to do with this business, go and apply and show them that I've done the research. Those yeah. are the kind of people that impress, right? They do, they do. Lewis Kent Lee, thank you so much for sharing about your journey, your insights, and also your, you know, your adventure, your journey at Viatic, and long may it continue as well. Shout out to your team, to Edmund and the team who may be watching. If you got this far, then please give this chap and the team a like because that will help boost their story into the YouTube stratosphere. Um, best way to reach you, Lewis, is you happy with people approaching you on LinkedIn? Just yep. pinging you there. You're good on, you're active there? I'm active on LinkedIn. Okay, great. We'll put the details and, uh, in the show. And notes. thanks for having me today, William. Yeah. It's a, it's a lovely chat. Yeah, enjoyed. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you, Lewis. All nice the best. That was Pitch Deck Asia, powered by Pitch Media Asia. My name's Graham Brown. Pitch Deck Asia is a platform to give startups in Asia a voice we give them a show to help them tell their story. And if you love these startup stories and like hearing more about the journeys of the founders, go and check out our SoundCloud channel, which is available at pitchdeck.asia slash SoundCloud. That's pitchdeck.asia slash SoundCloud. Head along to the channel, subscribe, follow us, and feel free to leave a comment or a rating on our channel as well. We'd love to hear your feedback.